Colin Powell, dead at the age of 84. An American hero, yes, and I like Colin Powell. Sure, he made some big time mistakes and he was always there to turn against Republicans. That's why the fake news loved him so much. I grew fond of him, quite frankly, back when I was in college and I found out that the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff went to school in the Bronx. He went to high school in the Bronx and he went to City College. I was going to Fordham at the time. And I liked that about Colin Powell. He was a, a hometown hero. We actually went to the same White Castle restaurant uh, decades apart. Anyway, also this. He was achieving great things based on ability. Folks recognized in the Army that this guy <laughs> was very, very good. Basically, Republicans, more than any other group, saw this guy's potential. Casper Weinberger, the Secretary of Defense under Ronald Reagan, made him a top aide, and uh, Reagan administration really saw him as a genius, and they promoted him as such. He became National Security Advisor under Ronald Reagan. A pretty remarkable story, uh, actually. And I will say this, and I think it sounds, I don't want it to sound harsh, but Colin Powell achieved amazing things despite being black, not because he was black. Now, despite being black, let me set this up. When he was coming of age in the army, uh, being black was held against him by a lot of people. He, uh, he felt it in big ways and small. And some of this is in his book, by the way, his autobiography, uh, An American Journey. He wrote this in the 90s, right after leaving the army. Talked about a lot of things. Uh, he was in a helicopter crash in uh, Vietnam. At one point, he actually lost his gun, and an officer cut him some slack. It could have been a career ender, but saw the overall quality of the person and decided not to, not to make a federal case out of it. The Army today has a zero defects mentality. He appreciated that moment. Um, so a lot I appreciate about Colin Powell and his honesty and candor in that book, but the fake news, why do they like him? They like him because as a Republican, he was always endorsing Democrats. I think he is a transformational figure. He is a new generation coming into the world, onto the world stage, onto the American stage. And for that reason, I'll be voting for Senator Barack Obama. Will you endorse President Obama this race? Well, you know, I voted for him in 2008, and I plan to stick with him in 2012, and I'll be voting for he and for Vice President Joe Biden next month. Today, Powell announced he will vote for Clinton, reportedly saying she is balanced, she has temperament, and no matter what anyone says, she has stamina. I support Joe Biden for the presidency of the United States. Uh, you see, I mean, he was the go-to Republican who would endorse Democrats. And he did say he was a Republican um, in a rather dramatic way right after he got out of the Army. I will continue to speak out forcefully in the future on the issues of the day, as I have been doing in recent weeks. I will do so as a member of the Republican Party and try to assist the party in broadening its appeal. I believe I can help the party of Lincoln move once again close to the spirit of Lincoln. So Democrats weren't too into him when he announced that. They were hoping that he might run as a Democrat someday. And they had even less use for him after he went to the United Nations and made the case for WMD in Iraq. Remember this? We have first-hand descriptions of biological weapons factories on wheels and on rails. The trucks and train cars are easily moved and are designed to evade detection by inspectors. 
in a matter of months, they can produce a quantity of biological poison equal to the entire amount that Iraq claimed to have produced in the years prior to the Gulf War. These are missiles that Iraq wants in order to project power, to threaten, and to deliver chemical, biological, and if we let him, nuclear warheads. So his prestige, his reputation, it sealed the deal really for the war in Iraq. And uh, well, you know what happened next. No weapons of mass destruction, a long, messy occupation. And yes, he bears some responsibility for that. Although I do think he may have been duped by the CIA, by Dick Cheney. Uh, maybe they lied to him like they lied to so many others. Also, uh, as the war unraveled, he was, he was not at ease with the Bush administration. He left after only one term. He famously got into a screaming match with uh, Don Rumsfeld outside the Oval Office. But before all this, he did an amazing job uh, when he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, kicking Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. Remember Gulf War I? Seems like ancient history now, but Colin Powell was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Dick Cheney was the secretary of defense. And together, these guys did not screw around. They didn't have to worry about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They were all about killing the enemy, literally. Our strategy to go after this army is very, very simple. First, we're going to cut it off, and then we're going to kill it. <laughs> How's that, huh? How's that? Now we have uh, a different mentality in the Pentagon, right? We have General Milley, we have Lloyd Austin, and we have their, their virtue signaling, and uh, it's just very, very different, and that's, that's very unfortunate. The system, by the way, wants generals and secretaries to be like these guys. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, and in part, because Bill Clinton... So the writing on the wall when it came to Colin Powell, Bill Clinton was said to be very, very concerned about Colin Powell running against him for president in 1996. Um, he was worried about that and greatly, greatly relieved when Colin Powell said he's not doing it. A passion and commitment that despite my every effort, I do not yet have for political life because such a life requires a calling that I do not yet hear. And for me to pretend otherwise would not be honest to myself, it, not, it would not be honest to the American people, and I would break that bond of trust. And therefore, I, I cannot go forward. I will not be a candidate for president or for any other elective office in 1996. And Bill Clinton was like, wow, that was a close one. It was because this guy was universally popular and had just won a war and might have been able to beat him in 1996. Something interesting happened after that, though. Why would a president ever appoint a powerful person with charisma to a big job like chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Guess what? They never did after that. They said, wait a second, we could be appointing a political rival. So really for the next 20 plus years, we got a lot of very average people at the top of the Pentagon, in part because Colin Powell was so good, so charismatic and had political brawn to him. Political leaders don't want that. They have enough rivals. So uh, I am saddened by his, uh, his passing. I will say this, though, um, you've heard that silly phrase, somebody looks like me, therefore I identify with that person, right? Someone looks like me. If only the Secretary of Defense would look like me. 
I think it's a very silly thing. Colin Powell and I do not look alike, but I thought he was great when I was coming up through the ranks. I admired him and I had a great deal of respect for him. I told you because of that hometown connection and a couple of other things, I just thought he was uh, the real deal. It had nothing to do with him being black and nothing to do with me being white. I just thought he was a great soldier and I still do. I'll be right back. Rob Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can, I can say, say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Fake news? They continue to protect Joe Biden. This is the president they wanted. They got him. Oh, boy, it's not pretty. So there's an education event at the White House today. Joe tells a long, convoluted, rather weird story about himself. I was going to tell you a quick story. When I decided to... Uh, um, help pick someone who was going to be the nominee for the Democratic Party. I was asked in Delaware to go out and try to find a candidate for the United States Senate. I was 28 years old as part of this group of people. And I kept trying to get people to who were consequential to get involved. They didn't want to do it. And Nixon was running that year, was going to be a lead pipe since Republicans were going to win. And I was a Democrat. And uh, and so I showed up at a Democratic convention, an off-year convention, and I went to make sure that everything was uh, going to be okay. And I would report that I was the kid at the convention, and it was in Dover, Delaware. And uh, after the afternoon session, I went back to the hotel, a, a typical hotel, a motel where you drive up, you get out of the car, you walk in the door. And uh, I was in there, I was shaving, and I had a towel around me. And uh, I was in the bathroom, which is like eight by 10, and two beds with the headboards nailed to the wall and a desk nailed to the wall. And all of a sudden, I hear bam, 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 this banging on my door. And I thought it was a guy, a great friend named Bob Cunningham, and a guy named Dennis. I thought they were coming to pick me up. I thought I was late. So I went to the door, shaving cream, razor in my hand, towel on, opened the door. And who's standing there but the former governor of the state of Delaware? Swear to God, a former chief justice uh, of the state Supreme Court and Rhodes Scholar and more members of his family were United States senators than any family in American history. Thirdly, a congressman who had been defeated earlier, a great guy, five-term congressman, and a guy named Henry Topel, who was the uh, state chairman. And they said, we're coming in. I said, <laughs> and I had, met, I had not met two of them personally, two I hadn't met. And I'm in my towel, I mean, I'm in a towel. <laughs> Shaving cream on my face. And so I stepped back, I said, oh, oh, gentlemen, okay, please, please come in. And I went in the bathroom thinking, I'm gonna get, put something on. I got in and I realized there's nothing to put on. <laughs> so I wiped the shaving cream off my face and I walked out and I was mortified. And I said, I'm sorry, gentlemen. I said, it's okay. And there were two of them, each on the end of each of the two beds that were facing me. And I'm, I'm against the, the, the desk like this. And this guy, Henry Topel, said, 
and he was from New York, he said, Joe, we just had dinner, we were thinking, and they, you should run for the United States Senate. And I said, oh, geez, what's, you know, I said, well, I said, Mr. Chairman, I said, I'm not old enough. And the then Chief Justice, this retired Chief Justice, of course, said, Joe, obviously you didn't do very well in law school. I looked at him. All right. He said, it says you have to be 30 years Turn old to be sworn in. Turn Not it down if you don't mind. It, uh, it goes on like this. The nudity. <laughs> Not consequential. He's not a consequential guy. He admits that. I'm not one to complain about white privilege. I think that's kind of a joke. But talk about white privilege. Nobody, Joe Biden, he's 28 years old, and the chief justice of Delaware comes to his motel room and says, you've got to run for the Senate. Uh, most people have to work really hard when they run for a big office like that. But it just came to Joe somehow. I wonder why. Anyway, who knows how much of that is true. I gotta tell you something else uh, that I've noticed. It gets to Pete, thank you. Um, Pete Buttigieg, I'm gonna get to him in a moment. But first, I have to show you how Donald Trump gets rid of people who don't work hard. Pete Buttigieg is not working hard. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't tolerate that. Do you remember uh, the Veterans Administration secretary, a guy named Shulkin? He wasn't into working very hard, and Trump got rid of him very early on. Everybody always wants to go to the Southern way. Right? <laughs> so are you going to be at that meeting? You're gonna, you heard about it, right? It's going to be great. There's a small moment there, but it got a lot of attention in the Beltway. Uh, Shulkin, the new VA secretary, brand new president, was not going to work that weekend on veterans' issues. He did not make it for very long uh, in the Trump administration because he was not willing to work hard. So that brings me to Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete and his husband, they are happy fathers, both of them, right? That's nice, uh, very nice, but it's also incredibly strange. That Pete Buttigieg, with such a big job, transportation secretary, in the middle of a transportation supply chain crisis, would take two months off. That's what he did, two months off. All this stuff going on. And by the way, <laughs> he took a good chunk of last year off as well. After he ran for president, he grew a beard, uh, wrote a bunch of books, hung around the house, and had a grand old time. But now he is a father, and he is taking time off, but that's our time, you and me. Listen. Secretary Pete and his husband, Chastin, adopted twins back in August. That Buttigieg took paternity leave to care for his premature babies. Pete Buttigieg is finding out firsthand how hard it is to be a working parent in America. He's being criticized for taking time off to care for his newborn twins. The Biden White House today giving their full-throated support to Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg amid bizarre attacks by the far right over parental leave, leave that he's taken to spend time with his husband Chastin and their beautiful twins, newborns, just a few weeks old. Okay. Uh, far right. I mean, this is totally legit. People on the other side are talking about it as well. Because Pete Buttigieg is a man, and so is his husband. They did not have to have these kids now. They're not up against any biological clock. Let's be real here. All right? This is a big job, the biggest that Pete Buttigieg has ever had. And now he decides to take uh, the leave, have the kid. He doesn't have to do it. But it's bizarre how the fake news is so on his side. I know you've been under some 
um, bizarre attack for taking paid leave uh, by some some loudmouths um, uh, in our political system. Bizarre? How is it bizarre? Two months off. I guess I'm one of the loudmouths. So be it. That's fine. Uh, this show is a bizarre show. It is so left-wing, like all of the other Sunday shows. Uh, here's something that is not on the minds of African Americans, but a uh, white woman tells me it is. I've been sitting in these focus groups, especially with younger African American voters. You know what they're talking about? Exactly what Garrett said, which is, where where's the police reform? Where we, we talked about that a lot in 2020. Mm -hmm. Voting rights, this is an existential threat to our country and what, we can't pass it? Uh, no, people are not talking about that stuff. They aren't, especially African-Americans, quite frankly. What they're talking about, and I have a feeling I know this much more than she does, they're talking about crime in their neighborhoods, all of our neighborhoods. It's totally out of control. Dr dramatic increases just about everywhere. They're not talking about the George Floyd Criminal Justice Act. They're not, all right? Believe me, that show, boy, oh boy, they all take themselves so seriously, by the way. Ever hear the theme song for it? Thank you for watching. We're gonna be back next week because if it's Sunday, it's Meet the Press. Meet the Press reports is on Peacock. We got Meet the Press every day of the week. But we'll see you next Sunday. I mean, I would expect this kind of music if you're meeting uh, Zeus, Apollo. <laughs> but these guys, the fake news, it's a little much. It's a little much. That's enough of that. What they should have been doing and what they should still be doing is vetting Joe Biden. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? Let's go, Brandon. All right, since they didn't vet Joe Biden, um, Joe feels free to act as dishonestly now as he did throughout his career. Now, first, let's go back to 2020, the campaign, Joe wearing a mask everywhere he went, inside, outside. He was so diligent uh, about wearing that mask. And then and now he's been shaming everybody how it's the patriotic duty to wear a mask. How dare you endanger anybody else? Remember this stuff? Masking as directed as a patriotic duty. This is not a time to relax. We must keep washing our hands, stay socially distanced, and for God's sake, for God's sake, wear a mask. Mask up, mask up. It's a patriotic duty. For God's sake, wear a mask, if not for yourself, for your loved ones, for your country. This is not political. It's patriotic. Wearing a mask. Wear one. Period. Well, of course, it was just a political talking point, okay? Just an issue that he could use. He didn't wear a mask. He doesn't wear a mask. Even though right now it's required indoors in Washington, D.C., especially at restaurants. So here's Joe Biden and Jill leaving a restaurant, uh, an Italian restaurant, I believe, in D.C. No masks, no masks, but you may say, well, wait a second. They're outside the restaurant. I mean, give them a break. Well, everybody else in this photo is wearing a mask. And let's see them inside the restaurant, okay? Inside. And it's a thousand percent required that they wear masks, okay? And they're not wearing them. How about that? 
How about that? Jen Psaki was called out on this today or asked about it. And uh, boy, she's getting very adept at lying. There is a mask requirement inside D.C. restaurants, yet President Biden and the First Lady were not wearing masks while walking around a D.C. restaurant on Saturday. Why? Well, I think what we are referring to is a photo of them walking out of a restaurant after they they had eaten masks in hand where they had not yet put them back on yet. So I would say, of course, uh, there are moments when we all don't put masks back on as quickly as we should. But I don't think we should lose miss, lose the force through the trees here and that our objective here is to get more people vaccinated, make sure that uh, that schools and companies around the country can put in place requirements to save more lives and keep people safer. Uh, and, you know, not overly focus on moments in time that don't reflect overarching policy. Uh, no, no. And we're talking about the time inside the restaurant. He said inside the restaurant. And uh, he reiterates what he's talking about. Listen to this. So much spin there, by the way. Huh? Listen to this. It was not just exiting the restaurant, though. He was walking through the restaurant with no mask on. There is a carve out for uh, people under two or people who are actively eating or drinking. So I'm just curious why the president was doing this. I think I just addressed it, Peter. Just addressed it. No, no. The president and the first lady are in that restaurant when they should be masked and they're not masked. Take a look at the picture one more time. This is a clear, clear uh, violation and... Uh, what do you want, huh? They're phonies. So many of them are phonies. Lori Lightfoot appears to be not only phony, but crazy. She's the mayor of Chicago. She's made a big thing about being masked. And take a look. Take that fool if you don't mind. There she is at the ball game, and uh, everyone else is wearing a mask except her. They're pretty wild, aren't they? Uh, do you know who Terry McAuliffe is? For a long time, he was a big-time fundraiser for Bill Clinton, Former governor of Virginia, now he's running for governor again from Virginia. And uh, look at this. He's coming out of a building, yells at a reporter for not wearing a mask. Are you vaccinated? And see what he does three days later. Take a look. Is it not Virginia parents? Vaccinated yet? That's the question I want to know. Who do you think should be in control of education if not Virginia parents? Governor, was it a mistake? You're dangerous here. It is total hypocrisy, and they use it, uh, the mask issue, so much of COVID, just as a political tool, a weapon, so they can stay in power. I think it was done in 2020, and it's being done now. Um, Donald Trump, by the way, is out and about. You know, he's very active. He's vocal. He's saying stuff. He's putting out statements uh, every hour, it seems like. Democrats are nervous because he looks great. He sounds great. He's landing punches. What are they going to do? Well, they're going to try to smear him again. They're going to try to smear him again. Remember the Steele dossier? A bunch of lies uh, pulled together by the Clinton campaign, and they grabbed this Steele guy to, I don't know, put his stamp of intelligence approval on it, but it's total nonsense. They're dusting it off. They're actually going to try to use it again. Maybe there's something here after all that's, uh, that's true. So George Stephanopoulos, come on, talk about uh, corrupt interviewed Christopher Steele, these guys are perfect together, uh, about the dossier, and we've all heard this nonsense before. So mm, how do you make it interesting? How do you make it uh, different this time? You throw in some cheesy music. 
What exactly did he ask you to look into? Two things, really. One was what the Russians were doing in terms of potential interference in the campaign, and two, what the links were between Trump and the Trump campaign in Russia. So you get this assignment, what do you do? You essentially get your network of sources to redirect themselves onto asking contacts in Russia about this issue. Classic fake news. It seemed like a combination. They were doing it at a train station with the bell and uh, an episode of 24 using their soundtrack. Fake news. They got to sex it up to give it another life. I don't think it's going to work. Stay with us. More and new information about January 6th. They are pushing January 6th again. I thought after our horrible defeat in Afghanistan, this thing would go away because everybody knows that, uh, well, what happened on January 6th wasn't an insurrection, but what happened in Afghanistan, that was actually an insurrection, and it's the Biden administration's fault. But no, they are still clamoring uh, for their hearing. They're getting their hearing. They're issuing subpoenas and all this nonsense. We have some interesting footage from... uh, Capitol Hill surveillance cameras. Take a look at this. You can see people coming in. I guess they're protesters. The cops are not doing anything to impede their entrance into the Capitol. Why would they just stand there? I mean, that's uh, that's very peculiar, isn't it? Now, this isn't totally new. This is Well, it's a new perspective, the surveillance camera. But we had this as well from cell phone camera, from people actually coming in, um, that the cops were just standing on either side of that hallway, allowing people to come in. This is very strange. These are the kinds of things that the select committee should be looking into, but they're not. But they're not. What they just want to do is see if they can tie this in any way to Donald Trump complaining about the election, and can they hang this entire event on him. That's their goal. And if Joe Biden was truly interested in unifying the country, like he told us back during his inaugural speech, he wouldn't allow this to be happening. And he wouldn't say things like this. What's your message to people who defy congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee? I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they be prosecuted by the Justice Department? I do, yes. I do, yes. I do, yes, sure. Prosecute him. Prosecute everybody. Prosecute my, the previous administration. This guy has no interest whatsoever in unifying the country. This would be easy, by the way. This would be an easy one and a good one, but he doesn't want to unify the country. All right, because if you want to say that Donald Trump and all of his supporters were responsible for January 6th, you got to say that Democrats were responsible for all of the violence that happened um, last summer, because that's a great big fat lie, what they were protesting over. You know this, right? The data shows that police weren't posing a serious threat to people of color. 
The police fatally shot nine unarmed blacks and 19 unarmed whites in 2019, according to a Washington Post database, down from 38 and 32, respectively, in 2015. So what you had here are a bunch of Democrats exaggerating a situation and people creating mayhem. Hmm? I think that should be looked into. What do you think? So that's Thomas Jefferson, of course, Thomas Jefferson, third president of our country, right? Third president. And also he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Okay, he's a great guy. But, but, yeah, he was a man of his times and he owned slaves. So a statue, another one here in New York City uh, that's been around for about 100 years at least, they're going to take it down. The new panel will also consider the demand from some council members to remove the City Hall statue of Thomas Jefferson because he owns slaves. As a slave owner, many are objecting to him being held up as an American icon in City Hall chambers. Here's the thing. Uh, I think this is just a warm-up. This is just a warm-up. Going after our founding fathers, then they're going to go after the father of the universe, right? God, the Bible. That's next. I fear that is next. You know, throughout the Bible, um, there are plenty of good people in that Bible who own slaves. It's actually in the Bible. And uh, I think they may try to cancel the entire book. Keep your eye on this. I mean, look, Black Lives Matter, when they were about to burn down that church uh, outside, uh, across the street from the White House, it came pretty darn close. All right. And what has that church done since? It's pretty wild, actually. On the outside of the church, they have a Black Lives Matter banner, all right? Forever. They put a Black Lives Matter matter up. Uh, what's the message here? I have no idea. This does not belong in front of any church. Black Lives Matter is a socialist organization. It is atheistic. It is anti-family. It is all kinds of problems. But... <laughs> what church would allow this to happen? That's actually a decent church, right? It's, uh, this is what they want. This is what they want. They're gonna come after religion next. This isn't some phony culture war. This is real stuff. And we have to be prepared and we have to be on guard. All right, now this. Black lives matter, of course they matter, but not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. Black lives matter, though. They, of course they matter, including the life of 16-year-old Kiera Moore, shot and killed in Chicago this past Thursday night. Police say Kiera was waiting for an Uber with her twin sister when a car drove by and someone inside opened fire. Kiera was hit with several bullets and died shortly after arriving at the hospital. She was a star on her high school basketball team and had dreams of playing pro for the WNBA. Her basketball coach told reporters that she received a call from a college recruiter about Kiera just a few hours before the shooting. She did not get a chance to share that good news. Kiera's older brother said she was a hard worker on and off the court. She never gave up on the court. She never gave up on school books. She brought a smile to everybody. Call, call somebody, man. Call your loved one, your cousin, your brother, your sister. Call them the time you love them. Because life is short. Wow. Kiara's sister was not injured in the shooting. Family members held a vigil on Saturday. What would have been 
her 17th birthday. No rests and no leads. She was just 16 years old. All right. When we come back, we'll be joined by former congressman and former Trump chief of staff, Mark Meadows. A lot going on right now. Be right back. So that January 6th committee is uh, sending subpoenas out all over town. Leave it to Trump to sue the committee. I love it. I love this. Trump is suing the January 6th committee and uh, the National Archives uh, Bureau. Yes, he is. And he calls this in legal filings. Uh, let's see here. A vexatious and illegal fishing expedition. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh, they're not asking the right questions about January 6th. And um, let's bring in. Uh, former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, former congressman, of course, from North Carolina, Republican. And hey, before we ask about, first of all, how are you? Good to see you. I'm doing well. Thanks so much. Good to be with you, Greg. Hey, you're under subpoena as well. How did you handle it? Well, obviously, these are some complex uh, uh, legal matters where the uh, the attorneys are actually working back and forth. And hopefully at the end of the day, uh, they'll be able to uh, figure out the proper course of action. But as you mentioned in your lead up, uh, uh, President Trump has now sued uh, the, the commission and uh, the National Archives. Uh, to to really keep them from releasing some of the documents that are uh, under, covered under executive privilege. So, look, I, I feel like um, they're not asking the right questions about January 6th. I mean, <laughs> the riot happened on Capitol Hill, not in the White House. We all heard what President Trump said peacefully, patriotically. Uh, there are some questions that have not been answered about security on January 6th. Why are they hassling you guys? I don't get it. Well, I think there's a belief that we had some prior knowledge uh, that a uh, capital breach, uh, you know, of their security was going to happen. And I, I can, I can tell you that I know of no one in the West Wing that had any prior knowledge of that. In fact, if anything, uh, President Trump uh, had uh, worked very hard to make sure that there was plenty of security available, not just for the gathering, but at the disposal of the mayor of uh, Washington D.C. So perhaps a, a better question really should be posed to her. Why, why did they turn down National, uh, National uh, Guard help uh, 48 hours prior to uh, the January 6th event? And so there's a number of questions if, if they were really wanting to uh, figure out how we make sure our capital needs to be secure. And everybody wants that. You and I, everybody across the nation wants that. And yet uh, it seems like they uh, continue to to uh, point their finger at President Trump, although they've already had two impeachments. Uh, normally you have the, this kind of investigation before the impeachment. So you were with the president on January 6th. Um, I know he was watching, I heard that he was watching TV. We we're all watching TV. On that afternoon, I did not see the stuff that was happening inside. I believe there was a significant lag. We only started seeing that late at night and then days following. Um, we did not know what was actually happening on the inside uh, until later. I mean, the cameras were kind of like fixed in a way. We saw the big crowds. But did you have an idea of how bad it was inside the Capitol? Because I don't I'm trying to think about when I did. And I don't think it was before the president issued that statement. 
Yeah. So, uh, so Greg, just because uh, I am under subpoena and right now these complex legal uh, battles are going back and forth, I don't want to speak directly uh, to uh, to the facts that you're you're asking. I can say this: that there have been a whole lot of additional video coverage that uh, I and others have seen that actually, uh, you know, if you were looking at it in real time in a timeline. Uh, were not available at that particular time. You know, some of the horrific things that we've seen uh, actually played out in the days to follow that. And uh, and yet, without speaking about the, the particular uh, specifics uh, when I was with the president, uh, it, it's, it's very yeah. easy to draw some of the same conclusions that you're drawing. No, I get it. And, and some of the anchors over there, particularly at MSNBC, they were so outraged, but I watched the images they were watching and we were not seeing what we got to see later. They were just seeing a bunch of people on Capitol Hill and nothing had happened at that point or nothing obvious. We didn't see what was happening on the inside. Hey, uh, President Trump is looking good. Let's face it. It looks like he's coming back in a big way. It looks like they brushed off the steel dossier. Uh, I noticed they they added some cheesy music because we know that the the stuff is full of lies. But I want to show you this from George Stephanopoulos. Let's play the one where they've got all the clangy and mysterious music. What exactly did he ask you to look into? Two things, really. One was what the Russians were doing in terms of potential interference in the campaign, and two, what the links were between Trump and the Trump campaign in Russia. So you get this assignment, what do you do? You essentially get your network of sources to redirect themselves onto asking contacts in Russia about this issue. Oh, what do you think? I think the music uh, takes it to a new and even more ridiculous level. <laughs> uh, well, Go ahead. Ridiculous is a key word there. I mean, for George Stephanopoulos, uh, who actually, as we all know, worked for the Clintons, uh, to actually resurrect this story uh, about Christopher Steele, who was fired by the FBI. I want to I make sure that everybody understands that. He was fired by the FBI. He was discredited as a confidential human source in addition to that. And for them to bring it back as if it's newsworthy, listen, it's been debunked. It is just a, a serious attempt by ABC uh, to actually go after President Trump. And they wouldn't be doing that if they weren't threatened by the very fact that President Trump is still a major voice in America on the political scene. Yep, absolutely. Hey, so are you, by the way. We're looking forward to your new book. Comes out December 7th. Mark Meadows, uh, the book is called The Chief's Chief. And uh, uh, what a great photo, by the way. You were always right there at the president's side. Uh, can you give us a preview? Sure. Uh, listen, this is uh, President Trump and I uh, telling a few stories that, uh, honestly, only the two of us could tell. Uh, we actually take on Dr. Fauci and Secretary Esper and General Milley and some of the, the things that you've been covering in the recent days. But uh, what you'll find are a lot of stories on the way that the president makes decisions and candidly how he truly uh, puts the interests of the American people first. Uh, it's it's available now on pre-order, but it, I think uh, not only uh, your viewers, but uh, the vast majority of those people who voted for President Trump will love to read the story. Awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Congratulations. Mark Meadows, former chief of staff, former congressman, future, who knows what, looking very bright. <laughs> we'll be right back. Thank you, sir.
emotionally abusing our children. Highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents. You cannot accomplish anything because of your skin color. This is still America, ma'am. I love them. I love each one of them. And there are many, many more. You heard at the end there, that was Tatiana Ibrahim. Here's a little bit more of her standing up for a totally woke, insane school board in upstate New York. You're emotionally abusing our children and mentally abusing them. You're demoralizing them by teaching them communist values. This is still America, (laughs) ma'am. I love it. I love it. They are fearless. They are so eloquent and powerful and brave. Tatiana Ibrahim joins us once again. Welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? Hi, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, listen, I, I, are you under the weather here because uh, the FBI is snooping around? I mean, have you heard about that ridiculous letter. Are you feeling the heat? I mean, I know you're still very, very vocal and you have a daughter who was harassed by a woke faculty. Um, when the FBI or the attorney general put out that letter, did it give you any chills or uh, reason to uh, you know, back off a little bit? No, I'm excited. Tell me more about that, Tatiana. So um, I think it's absolutely disgusting what they're doing. Um, If a parent that is fighting for their child, for God, country, and the constitutional rights of our children are considered domestic terrorists, where do I sign up? I'm proud to be one then because I will not stop fighting. And any agent that, you know, it's really sad. These these. FBI agents, this this department, they took an oath to protect the American people, the citizens, and they're going against everything that they took that oath for, um, you know, just because they're afraid. Garland is afraid. His, his son-in-law is all involved with the critical race theory. It's all about money. They don't care about our kids. They want to silence us. They want to try to put fear into our hearts. It's not going to work. They know where I live. Come. And let's be, and I know, and you, I've seen you speak out about this before. When you say, uh, Simon, you don't see yourself as a domestic terrorist. You see yourself as a good person. You're on the side of the Constitution. You made that quite clear. Every time you've spoken right. publicly, you speak about, you know, we'll see you in court. We're going to push right. this all the way to the Supreme Court. They always, they try to portray your desire to pursue legal remedies as, oh, wait a second, you're, you're advocating violence. I've seen that happen. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because that's what they do, right? They lie, they cheat, they steal, they burn, they murder, they commit treason, they defame. So they automatically assume that law-abiding patriots, citizens of this country, are going to do the same thing. They're very un-American. We are not. We are for God and country. And there's nothing more that we love in this world than God, country, and our children. So, you know, they're not going to stop us. They're not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going. I've broken no laws. I've done nothing wrong. If breaking, if it's considered breaking a law for standing up for my child, then you know what? Then do what they have to do. I'm not going to stop defending my child against this tyranny and communism. Keep it up. Be careful, of course. Uh, Tatiana Ibrahim, find her. She's all over social media, emerging as a real superstar in this movement, along with those others, those other heroes. To be continued, Tatiana, and thank you. Thank you. Go, Brandon. Okay, (laughs) let's go, Brandon. (laughs) 
So uh, let's go, Brandon, and stand by for Cinchfield. 